passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Tuesday, March the 1st. It is March already. Crazy, right? March the 1st, 2022. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. It is a Tuesday, so it is a Tim Watts Tuesday here on the program. Tim, welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. I assume as we record this mid-morning on Tuesday, you've already gotten in the morning run. You probably already run a 10K on this Tuesday. You've probably done pull-ups, sit-ups, push-ups, had your raisin brand. So you're ready to go, right, Tim? None of that's true. <laughs> None of that is accurate. I will try to do some stuff after this. So, you know, it's odd you mentioned raisin brand. Two weeks ago, I had the first couple of bowls in one week of Raisin Bran I've had in probably 20 years. Dude, we're both Raisin Bran years old. It's that time we got to do it, whether we want to or not. Well, the minute I – yeah, it's true. But the minute I could buy my own cereal, I never purchased Raisin (laughs) Bran. I mean, I was first Fruity Pebbles. Anything that had color was going to rot my teeth. That was my choice. So Raisin Bran, my mom would try to, you know, force that down my throat, but – yeah, was, yeah. I was in the house. I was in the house the other day, and my oldest son's a cereal, a little bit of a Seinfeld cereal kind of eater, and uh, that was there, and I ate it for the first time. Yeah, raisin oh. brand milk doesn't hit like fruity pebbles milk, right? Oh. You know, no. that raisin brand milk at the end—it's just not tell, quite the same. Let me tell you why I don't trust raisin brand because if you ever finish it and don't w- rinse out the bowl or wipe off your spoon, leave that sitting in there overnight. Yeah, come back to what what you've done. Yeah, you need a pressure washer like if you to get, get it, it off. And you need to seal it, put some raisin bran on it. That's what I put a cast for you. You don't need flex seal. No, you know? no, that stuff. I came back, I looked up, I had forgot to wash the spoon off, and I spent a, I spent a fair amount of time trying to get that spoon clean the next day. Just minute. let raisin bran dry on the bottom of that screen door boat, you know, from yeah, the flex seal commercial. Pebbles, because I've never left any in the bowl, so. They'll do that too, though. Fruity Pebbles will pretty much uh, ferment right there on the bowl pretty solidly uh, as well. But yeah, I mean that's kind of where we're at at our at our ages here. Uh, we have to have the the raisin brand. I got some friends already doing the Metamucil. Man, I kind of refuse to go there. I mean, I'll up the brand intake, but yeah, I'm not quite ready to go full geriatric um, 
at this point. Something else, Tim, I'll tell you how old I am now without telling you how old I am. I set alarms on my phone to remind me of appointments, podcasts, things like that. And then they go off and I forget why I set them to begin with. That's how old I am now. That's why they have the label, though. That's kind of like, <laughs> that's an age thing. My kid, we have this thing around the house where we will uh, we set the microwave timer because I tell mm-hmm. the kids like if you're washing your clothes, you're never coming back. You're gonna leave them in the washer until they're they, they complete. You're never gonna put them in the dryer unless you remind yourself. So we turn on the microwave in the kitchen because then you have to walk to the kitchen to turn it off, and then you're right by the the washer and dryer. Well, half the time when it goes off, nobody knows why it went off. The one that said it's probably gone to the store. So we we uh, you got to kind of label things to get you know have that you know have that activity successful. I'll tell you what, with so much going on with University of Alabama athletics these days, between baseball, softball getting underway, uh, obviously Nate Oates' team winding down the regular season this week with a home game against Texas A&M and Tuscaloosa tomorrow night, and then a road trip to LSU on Saturday. I need uh, all the reminders I can get because there's plenty going on. And, you know, when we talk about baseball in general right now, um, are you just kind of settling in to the college baseball season with no real expectations for at least major league baseball on the horizon? If you're somewhere where there's minor league baseball, you're, you're going to be okay if you're Birmingham, uh, other cities. But uh, are you kind of just in college baseball mode at this point, Tim, when it comes to hardball? I mean, Friday, they had, uh, uh, I think it was Friday, well, it was last week. There's a lot of baseball. The opener, the walk-off home run was pretty fantastic. I know they Alabama obviously struggled against Texas, but. Um, Who isn't, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you come in with like that. I mean, they, you know, the first game is the one that hurt. 0 for 11 with runners in scoring positions. A really good team. You missed some opportunities there, um, obviously. But I, I was kind of excited about how that team played for two and two thirds of a series. I mean, I thought they did really well. They were tied in the sixth inning in game three. Texas is a legitimate ball club. Um, I was pretty excited to be there see them so competitive. Obviously they've got to score more. I mean, that's like, that's just like a, you know, you know I saw that discussed a lot. Obviously they got to score more, but very competitive, good defensively. I felt like. And the top of the rotation, you know, that's what you probably worry about as much as anything this time of year in college baseball is our Friday and Saturday guys. Uh, obviously, a Sunday guy you need as well. But, yeah, at the top of that rotation, Alabama got exactly what it needed in Austin. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the softball team, I was watching some of them. They're good, obviously. That, Six uh, wins in four days over in Louisiana. Yeah, that'll work, right? I mean, I've just never been able to understand <laughs> that. You know, I've never understood how the girls can play so much. They can pitch so much. I've never understood. I've told Ashley this 20 times. I've never. Why is the field Here's, size at 12 as it is at 20? I don't understand. <laughs> like our local park in Alabaster is hosted junior college uh, softball, and the girls play on the same field that the girls and some of the younger guys do mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're young. So how does the field not get bigger for college girls? They're bigger. Because the, the velocity goes up. In the circle, it gets that harder to hit. Yeah, I mean, you got some of these, some of these women throwing at seventy plus miles an hour from forty-five feet. You know, these girls are so fast and so strong. I mean, man, they, yeah. they, uh, there's some athletes out there, no doubt. Alabama has Montana Fouts getting it done once again in the circle, and looks like Murph really 
did a great job where the transfer portal is concerned uh, with Ashley Prang and uh, Allie Shipman coming in from Tennessee and then on the recruiting trail with Megan Bloodworth and Dallas Goodnight and Kaylee Tal back. This is a fun team. You said it, 15-0 and 0 now after six wins. Over in the state of Louisiana, Alabama men's basketball, as we alluded to just a moment or so ago. Tim, is it at the point where you don't want to entirely say as Javon Quinterly goes, this team goes, but it doesn't seem like a coincidence that with Javon finding it on the offensive end here of late, this looks a lot more like the Alabama team we anticipated or saw even earlier in the season than the one that we saw maybe through that stretch of January, February, uh, into the latter stages of the month. Yeah, I just think he brings a lot. I mean, when you add, I think his game ups JD's game specifically. Um, I think there's just a little bit more. You know, JD's had a couple of nice, you know, not super productive, but but effective nights where he was uh, in in this past week. Uh, you see Shackelford; he's always going to be a streaky shooter, but you know, something, you know, some kind of, you know, he's. When Quinterly's penetrating, and you know the way he passes, the way he handles the ball, the way he can facilitate—that's getting guys like Shackelford and JD open. mediaco has been the recipient of a lot of that as well. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's safe to say. I mean, you hate to put all your, you know, all your hopes into a, uh, you know, you know Quinterly who has been up, who has been down. But man, when he is good, he is really, really good. I mean, there's no doubt about it. His his last games. Uh, and I thought both of these. I don't know how Alabama fell from 24th to 25th. I asked you that yesterday, texting. Well, they just went 2-0 and for the week. So, I mean, it makes total sense that they would drop a spot. After they went 1-1 one and one the previous week and moved up a spot. So, yeah. I have no answer for they that. Said, oh, our bad. We got to catch you. It's like a bad call. <laughs> it made up for the call. But, I mean, those were two. You know, that's a tough game at Vandy. It's always been a tough game at Vandy. Uh, I felt like they played pretty well. Didn't play again didn't close out without giving everybody a heart attack. And South Carolina has been a really good basketball team lately. And to get, I know they had, you know, Alabama's a lot like the NBA and the fact there's always runs. Alabama could go on a big run, give up a big run. You know, obviously that South Carolina was that up 20, you know, cut it down to five or six, whatever it was, pushed it back out to 20 and ended up winning by 20 plus and won by 19. But I mean, obviously this is a team that, Seems to be hitting their, you know, their, the, their stride at the right time. But still, I think every game, and I believe we've said this most of the year, every game has to be, you know, they have to be as the best they can be every game. I don't think they can slip up much, uh, especially going forward. They have, uh, you know, the last regular season games at LSU, which is obviously a tough game. And they got the SEC tournament, NCAA tournament. So now going forward, you're almost getting into, you know, you know, lose and go home. You're going to have to have your best game every day. But, yeah, Quinterly can carry him and just have some of those guys that play well around him. Yeah, JQ has scored 19 or more in three of the last four games. Alabama won those three. Uh, winners of five of six now. Again, Texas A&M in Tuscaloosa tomorrow night. Alabama solo fifth in the SEC, but even with that, serious consideration among noted bracketologists anyway. I think Jerry Palm of CBSSports.com, he has Alabama as a four seed right now, Tim. Does that surprise you? I mean, when you look, you know, I just don't, I don't know how everybody does it. If you look at Alabama's resume, especially if you're focusing on the top, I think if you look at a 20 or 21 win team with the top wins they've got, yeah, I can definitely see you thinking it's a four seed. It's also 
how much is he going to factor in the losses? Again, I think Georgia's Georgia's still got the one win, right? Yes, Georgia yeah. has one that, SEC win. Yeah, that's the one thing that you know that stands. How much will they hold that against them? Um, will be the question. I think you can make an argument either way. I feel the top six seed was pretty much a given um, with this team's resume. Four would be good though. You know, four. You know what? Being in the tournament twice in you know 15 years, this team being as you know up and down as it was, and 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 maybe striding out at the right time. I mean, you know, I think anything in that in that upper that upper four or five bracket would be fantastic. But I think a lot of that depends on how they finish. Are they going to win these next two games? Do they play win a couple in the SEC tournament? If they do that, certainly I can see them as a four seed. I think if they go two and zero this week to close out the regular season, get to twenty one wins. 11 and 7 in the league. I think maybe the worst they're going to do regardless of Tampa is a 5 seed, you I, know? I I'd probably agree. I mean that LSU game again, it's going to, you know, we know it's going to be tough and it's winnable, but it's also losable. You know, people talk about no doubt. You know, people talk about winnable games, we talk about losable games. So, <laughs> you, know, you know, either way, uh LSU's a, you know, really good defensive team sporadic on the offensive end, a little bit of a rivalry there too. Uh, so that should be fun. But, yeah, I mean, if you can win at Baton Rouge, close out with, you know, double-digit SEC wins, uh, kind of struggle middle of your year. Um, but win 20-plus games, one of the toughest schedule, and have some of the best, you know, have, you know, some of the best wins in the nation. You know, even their losses this month. I was looking, you know, answering a question on the message board. I mean, they lost to three top five teams, I think it was. Now, Kentucky yeah. was two of them. But every loss they had in Mar in February was to a top five team. And a legitimate, I mean, teams competing for the number, you know, number one seed or number two seed. So legitimate teams that, that they lost to, Auburn and Kentucky. No doubt. And, you know, Arkansas has lost one game in their last 14. Man, they're good. They look really and that, good. And that loss was to Alabama. So, yeah. they you know. They look good against Kentucky. That's they a, yeah, did. That's a yeah. You know, South Carolina's been playing really good basketball. Yeah. I didn't that I looked up they were eight you know they were eight and seven in the SEC coming into the Alabama game I had no idea um about that they were 17 and 10 coming into that game had, had been playing really well late back to JQ you know we seem to talk more about his defense when he's struggling on offense you know he scores six against Kentucky a couple weeks ago and you know his defense is a problem but not so much when he lights up Mississippi State Vandy or South Carolina here most recently. Funny how that tends to work, I guess, with a player like JQ. And um, absolutely, looking ahead to the SEC tournament this year, it will be contested in Tampa. Don't like that so much. Uh, I like the men's tournament in Nashville on a annual basis. That's going to be more the case, I think, after this year. Uh, the Alabama women, winners of three or four, heading into the SEC women's tournament, which will be contested in Nashville. Good for them. That'll be a nice stage, although I think Greenville does an excellent job and will be more of that constant host for the ladies uh, moving forward as well. On the football front, Tim, we had sort of a uh, strength and conditioning sports science Monday uh, with the Alabama Athletic Department. Dr. Matt Ray reportedly by our guy. Josh Pate, late kick with Josh Pate, reporting that Matt Ray headed, in fact, to the New Orleans Saints. There had been smoke that perhaps David Blue and Matt Ray might be headed to your New Orleans Saints. It looks like it is a split of the two with Dr. Matt Ray 
headed down to Nolens, and then also Mike Snowden leaving UA Hoops as its strength coach. Um, we've talked about this before in relation to Scott Cochran, and don't want to discount, or try to devalue what individuals bring to the programs. Speaking specifically of Matt Ray, uh, Alabama definitely wanted to take this step, right, where sports science is concerned, post-Scott Cochran. And uh, I guess what you can say is that regardless of his successor, assuming that there is one to pair with David Ballou, that foundation that Nick Saban was hoping to at least lay uh, in that regard, I'd say that's happened with Matt Ray. Yeah, I would agree. You know, to me, I just don't know what, what I don't get the move to the NFL so much. I try not to overanalyze when guys make moves. I just don't know what you're going to do in the National Football League. I mean, maybe he's going to be a big part of the draft. I can see it if he's part of the draft and analyzing that stuff. But, you know, the NFL, the, you know, the, I don't know if they really work out, you know, with their NFL team. I don't know if, um, you know, maybe you can notice something they do in the season, but I don't see a, you know, a player in the middle of the season trying to change something to get a little faster or a little stronger. So I'm confused. I'm, I'd, I'd be curious to know exactly what his role is going to be. I mean, I know he's a smart guy and there has to be a role. I don't know if it's draft related. I don't know if it's player related. You know, the NFL coaches I talk to, those practices, I don't think there's a whole lot of like, you know, what you're expecting at the college or even the high school level as far as contact and participation. You know, and I had a coach tell me a couple of years ago that uh, Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry didn't run routes with uh, – uh, did, who didn't run routes with Baker Mayfield all year, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. So um, I think it's a little different animal. I'd be curious how they're going to use them. But I do, do know is, you know, the Saints take the draft very seriously, and I can see him specifically helping there uh, with the testing numbers and all that. But how it how it computes to the actual team, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to know what how that's going to work. Yeah, that is very interesting that you bring that up because, as we know, the NFL, like pretty much any other league, very much data-driven these days with analytics and the the emphasis placed on data in general. I guess, and to more of your point, how do you go about accumulating data if you're the Saints? Uh, even if you're looking at the draft process, I guess you can go to pro days and uh, maybe more specifically private workouts uh, with these guys. You got to go to them though. Um, you, you might bring them in on visits, but I don't think you're working them out at your facility. Uh, so all of this stuff's going to take place either in Indianapolis and there's so much data that's going to come out of the combine. Although as we're going to talk about in just a little bit, it seems like fewer and fewer guys are actually working out uh, at the combine. Uh, so that's where I think you're right. It gets interesting. Um, get, how does it translate? I don't think you could have got Tony Baselli to do the old split jump Evan did. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and also, Tim, college football is still very much, even with the transfer portal and, and the like coming into play, it's a it's a developmental uh, brand of football you know, you know you're developing guys from 17 to 22 in the nfl you might only have a guy for a year tim yeah it could be as simple as watching a guy during the season and you know whatever testing you know they could use and then right. make suggestions in the off season you know you right. know make a suggestion to their trainer although i don't know if trainers really like suggestions from other trainers i'd imagine that's competitive but uh interesting move nevertheless but i think alabama's you know fine where they're at and with also, as you know, the NFLPA and the uh, 
the limitations that you have with actual time with players in the NFL, man, it has shrunk considerably. You know, as far as OTAs, access to players in the off-season workouts, um, it's it's not like it is uh, with you know, in large part, that day-to-day accessibility that you have to the players in college. Uh, that's not the case in the National Football League. Speaking of player acquisition, man, big recruiting weekend coming up for Nick Saban and his staff. In Tuscaloosa, last week here on the podcast, we previewed the pending commitment of Jalil Hurley, the outstanding uh, defensive back for the uh, up in the Florence area. Five-star makes it official uh, following our podcast on last Tuesday, commits to Alabama. So a lot of five-stars, I guess, expected in Tuscaloosa. And you think about it, you consider how loaded the state of Alabama is this year, and it's easy to say, well, yeah, a lot of those guys are, are in-state guys. And true, there will be a handful of those. But, man, I'm seeing five-stars from Florida, D.C., Texas, not just limited to in-state, Tim. No, not at all. I mean, Alabama, you know, they're going to have both, both their commitments are expected. Jaleel Hurley, Elliott Washington. And I'll tell you, that's you know what? The classes have always been – you know, with Alabama, have always started a little bit slow. This that's a to get Hurley and Washington on board. If you watch these guys film and see just their offer list and the stuff they bring to the table, this is an extremely, extremely strong start to the uh, the uh, twenty. I can't remember what year it is. Twenty three class. Um, so yeah, then you add these guys coming in. I mean, obviously the in state group is going to be fantastic. The Thompson kids, Tony Mitchell, Peter Woods, will be a couple that come in. Um, but yeah, when you're talking about guys like Malik Bryant's coming in, he's a five-star guys from California, uh, Dalen Austin's expected in now expected in is important because I mean, you know, things change. I mean, you know, the travel, the weather and stuff like that happened, but the list, Cormani McLean's another one, another kid from Florida who I'm pretty sure you were talking about earlier, but there's a ton of talent coming in. Alabama's really perfected this part of the trip. It's good to get them in early. You know, me. You know, I think that the theory is with 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 recruits, you want to be first or last, right? With your visits, you really don't want to be second, third, and fourth for the most part. You take some risk either way, but the earlier you get these guys on campus, the better. Some of these guys have already been on campus, you know, and you'll have the uh, the commitments out here helping them recruit. So, yeah, it's going to be a huge event. What are we expecting, Tim? Because you know, I'm going to get asked this. You're going to get asked this. So maybe commitment timeframes beyond what we've seen with Hurley here of late. Uh, you mentioned Washington as well as being on board early for this class. Not so much in terms of specifics of particular recruits or even maybe position areas, but give us a sort of refresher so we can keep the masses semi-calm in terms of time frames and how it tends to work uh, maybe these days compared to some previous years. You know, I think kids you know, decide they want to commit – I really, you know, it's hard. I mean, even with Jaleel Hurley, who was, who was a heavy Bameline from the start of the process, the minute he got the offer, Freddie Roach did a terrific job there. Um, he was a heavy lean, but you saw him, even he postponed his. So it's hard for these guys. I think they get excited. You know, they want to commit. And then I think people talk to them. And I think even coaching staffs where they go to, I know Alabama's did it before, slow down, make sure it's okay with your parents and all that kind of stuff. I don't really – the commitment watch is fun. I mean, there's guys you can put on the commitment watch. But also kids get offended when they're – you know, they think – everybody thinks they know what they're doing. 
I mean, right. you see on Twitter where you don't know, expect a surprise, and then he chooses exactly what you thought he would do 18 months ago. You know, you've always got that 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 factor in. Um, locally, you know, I do think there's some kids, a guy like maybe Peter Woods, um, maybe Pierre from Ufala, kids like that could possibly commit. It's usually the in-state guys or the out-of-state guys that just are ready to get that commitment behind them. Um, but for me, you know, Hank does that a little bit more. He speculates on who could be on the commitment watch and who isn't. I think you start with the in-state and then work out um, for guys that could be possible. And also, I think the dates change so much, it's hard to really even, you know, lock in a date anymore. Yeah, Hurley was that way, right? He had a, yeah, a change to his, and you understand that. You know, things happen. And See, I had uh, to put a, like, I think he's committing early because if he doesn't, Heaven forbid if this kid decides to <laughs> What's going on, Tim? I mean, he, I mean, I've never seen people so mad at other people's decisions. But, I mean, Hurley literally postponed his. I think he wanted to do it on his mother's birthday. I'd have to double-check that. That sounds right. But he postponed it, and everybody had Texas A&M NIL getting it. I was like, <laughs> where the hell is he even coming from? I mean, there's some – every class leaves people with, like, this – this fear factor of somebody. And we'll get through. I mean, dude, I still have once a year somebody goes, Oh, remember Eric Gilbert. You know, I mean, my lord, you've got a hundred five stars since Eric. You know what I mean? Well, Tim, you've we got know you and five stars. You and Hank just hold back on us. We know that. You don't tell us everything. I want to tell them to educate. <laughs> I want to say the picture the best and the safest without them losing their mind. And that's yeah. not always easy to do because if a kid takes a visit, I mean, if you remember, Moy Kennedy took a late visit to LSU and the board was on fire. You know, it was he gone. It, I mean, it's the first thing. <laughs> I, I will say a lot of the you know our BOL uh, roundtable members are great because a lot of them egg yeah. on without believing it. They're the best. Oh yeah, they love the they love the strike right, right. Yeah. and that stir will, it stir it up feed the frenzy of those who are paranoid. That he actually is God, which is kind of, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's tongue in cheek, but I really think it comes down to covering recruiting or watching a game. If you watch our game threads, it's so much about the person. You know, it's literally is your glass half full, your glass half empty. I mean, if you watch a game thread, you jump in our game threads after any game. Um, South Carolina, I mean, if Alabama was up 18 and it got cut to 11. Here we go! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, another team can't have two buckets. We are gonna lose. Can they not? Can the other team not get two buckets without us losing our minds? Tim, they don't have scholarship guys. They're all walk-ons. We're, yes, we're supposed really, to beat them by eighty. They don't have scholarship guys. I have a really close friend who says it all the time. They got scholarships too. Exactly. Uh, he's, he's exactly right. So, I mean, I get it. The emotions, um, the back and forth, the sway, but recruiting's that way. And, you know, if a kid takes a visit, you know, a kid, you know, in-state kid goes to why would a Why would a kid from the state of Alabama <clears throat> who has an offer not visit a school like Georgia? Why would a kid in Georgia with this, you know, an offer from Alabama not visit Alabama? I mean, it makes sense. That these are two pretty high profile programs. They're not really that far apart. You know what I mean? It makes sense that kids from Alabama go to Georgia and Georgia kids go to go to Alabama and vice versa. It makes sense that they visit those schools. You know, Auburn has always got a lot of Georgia kids to visit. You know, they're a little closer to the border, but you know, you've seen that, that walk over with Alabama, especially with Saban here 
or even you know earlier than that. So it makes sense these takes these kids take visits. And I'll tell the fans something else: the ones that get upset when they change their mind, it's a hell of a lot better for them to change their mind and make their mind up when they're a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Because they commit to Alabama and then they want to take visits, you know, everybody's going to lose their crap again saying, I thought he's committed. That's not committed. You know, that's, you know, it's, you know, it's hard for these kids who are 17, 18 years old to, uh, I mean, they're very scrutinized. You know, like I say all the time, teenagers are stupid. I was a dumb teenager. You were a dumb teenager. We are not very intelligent for the most part, not compared to what we're going to be at 35. Yeah. So when they do stupid stuff on social media, when they take visits or say stuff, it's it's kind of to be expected. And then everything they say is under a microscope, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know what I mean? It's hard. I mean, I would I would like to get a five star recruit tweet the most random thing, hugly bugly, and watch the threads that they at. You know, yeah. no so, doubt. Anyways, to answer your question, you know, I think some in-state guys could be looking. I think a lot of them really want to take visits. The ones that don't want to take visits are obviously the candidates, because I think most people want if you take, you know, Alabama's never, you know, the myth with other schools, Alabama doesn't really care if you take visits and you're committed. I don't think they encourage it, but I mean, a lot of their commitments have taken visits and they dealt with it. You know, Clemson tried to put the kibosh on that. That that probably went sideways the last couple of years with kids taking visits. But I mean, for me, I'm a guy that thinks kids should take the visits, get comfortable where they, you know, they want to go and then pull the trigger. Hank South of our staff going to keep that running list for you for the upcoming weekend uh, as visitors make their way to Tuscaloosa. So you'll want to stay locked into our coverage at BamaOnline.com. The roundtable, our premium message board of choice, will be a great place to do that with us as well. And as we move through the weekend and we look ahead to the next week or so, spring break coming up in the not-too-distant future, Spring football practice at the University of Alabama. Going to get underway. Early look, early thoughts on the 2022 version of Nick Saban's 16th team at Alabama. I wanted to ask you, Tim, maybe some way too early picks. Understanding we're still, gosh, a good month and a half away at least from when the 8A game will take place. But thinking ahead, if you were going to identify a couple of guys as – Early picks for A-Day game standouts. Uh, let's get into that a little bit. Where, where would you go with that initially? And I hate to grab the low-hanging fruit, but I really think Deontay Lawson is going to be a guy that could stand out in a game like this. Um, and really, for entertainment purposes, I hope Aggie Hall goes off. Right. I'd love and to he- see get some confidence. I mean, another kid, if he tweets anything, people overreact. You know, in my opinion, they overreact. I mean, the guy – Everybody thinks he's been if, – if Hall wanted to leave, he could have left by now. You know, um, obviously every tweet doesn't mean he's out the door. He's an emotional guy. But I'd like to see those two guys, especially considering, you know, the opening. You know, we've, we've been waiting on Lawson for a couple of years now, right, to see, to have a chance. All we've heard in practice is really good things um, about him. And also want to see a wide receiver step up. Obviously, we want to see the, you know, the transfers that come in. You know any of those three guys, the, uh, the the portal guys, they could be they could factor in. But I'd really like to see Haller Brooks at that wide receiver position. I'd like to see Leary as well. I'd like to see what Leary can do on any kind of quick pass across the middle um, and see what he can do. But Lawson is definitely a guy I want to see. Terry and Arnold, 
is, I think could be a standout guy. You see a lot of him on social media and the work he's doing and the work he's putting in. You hear a lot of good things about him. So any of those guys. And one more, the uh, Goodwine. I like that. I think Goodwine has a chance really. Interesting. Monkel Goodwine. Yeah. yeah. Heard nothing but good things about him and, and Damon Payne. And so that's two more. They're going to have that opportunity, hopefully, to get out there and maybe, you know, have that chance. Because, you know, Saban's been preaching when you get your opportunity, make the most of it. Well, the next opportunity is when? It's this spring. I mean, this is your chance to show you need to be on the field and, and to build into that momentum and, and, you know, to grab a, you know, a building block. Um, Kyrie Jackson's another one. I mean, this is a good spring practice for us because there's so many guys we're going to get a good long look at, hopefully. But also, we're able to discuss leading into the season where there's opportunities for them to finally step in the role we anticipated uh, them playing early on. Yeah, you know, I think you hit on it. Um, need, where this team has needs moving forward. And certainly, Deontay Lawson, I thought he was great in A-Day last year. You know, as an early enrollee, he was kind of thrust into a, a role with the first group uh, on A-Day and played exceptionally well. Jai Hall had a, a nice performance uh, in a day game last April. So those would be some guys certainly on my list as well. Uh, but yeah, just areas of need for this team. And I mean, offensive tackle, right? Uh, you got to look there. Uh, the, the, the guys that you brought in a year ago, the five stars you brought in uh, a year ago with JC Latham, Tommy Brockermeyer, uh, does Damian George develop or does he just become maybe more of an inside player? Uh, offensive tackle. Uh, I think that's where you need some guys to step forward. Really, when you think about 8A2, the football gets thrown a lot. So, whereas, yeah, some fresh faces at the running back position, the opportunity could be there. Hell, we saw TJ Yeldon. I think he was a spring game MVP for like three straight years. So, it's not out of the realm of possibility that a running back doesn't sort of shine. And look, we didn't go with some of the obvious guys. Will Anderson, he could wreck 8A. You know, if they don't, if they don't have with the with the offensive tackle situation being what it is, Tim and Will Anderson on the other side, and also Dallas Turner, man, I have to sit this out. It, it, you know what I mean? We might. Have yeah. To. Do you just sit those guys? You know, like, it's like Tim uh, Williams a, a few years back. You know, you're like shit, man. We don't want to do this. You know what I mean? This. Yeah. You know, you know that brings up another great. You know, one of the ones I should have mentioned. I'm really excited. To see Jalen Milrow. I'm excited to see how. Yeah, the quarterback situation. Yeah. And I'm really wanting to see how Jalen looks this year as compared to last year from what we saw. Excited to see Ty Simpson. You know, the backup quarterback job at Alabama really been some of the best discussions we've had. I mean, some of the best, you know, Bryce and Mac and some, you know, Jalen and Tua. There's been some of the best storylines where the, where the, where the compete for the starting or the backup jobs. At Alabama, so really looking forward to seeing Jalen how he throws the ball. Um, you know, obviously he probably won't run as much as he usually would. I'm looking forward to seeing Tyler Ty Simpson and where he's at. I mean, so, but again, if they're behind center, <laughs> Will and Dallas at the bookends. Oh you know, my God, we might not see. Maybe Jalen's going to be running more than I expected. <laughs> yeah, uh, improv. You know, and 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 Alabama was fortunate last season because they weren't. They didn't have the luxury they had really had going back to say like 2017 with quarterback depth, you know, um, keeping Bryce young healthy in 2021 to get through the season with him intact was, 
was huge. And um, you think about trying to do that again in 2022, maybe this is going to prove to be an upgrade this year from a year ago with Milrow a year in the program with Ty Simpson coming in as a five-star at the position. Absolutely. I think the quarterback situation for a couple of different reasons on the immediate, from the immediate perspective, you need quality depth. Uh, but then big picture a year from now, you're more than likely going to be looking at the successor to Bryce Young. And another thing in this game where you've got guys that you want to see, I mean, you don't really need to see Will Dallas, Henry, but no. you do see Jeremiah Alexander, Jihad Campbell, right. Murphy, you know, uh, Jaheim Otis. There's guys that uh, in early, you know, early enrolling guys, Curtis Perry on that defensive line that you want to see um, that can go get the reps. You know, you could put Jihad at that edge. You can put Jihad on the inside. You can put, you know, obviously Lawson was a, you know, a year younger, but you could put all those guys out there and see them. So you don't really have to see Henry. Will, Dallas, I mean, you kind of know what you are. I'm sure they want to play, especially, you know, with Will. You know, it's probably his last spring game at Alabama. Um, But I think you have a lot of young guys you can focus on. Good one was the one we mentioned earlier. And, guys, you can just go in and get those reps for the first time, kind of see where they stand out, um, and give them a chance to shine. You know, Terrence Ferguson's another one, you know. Yep. Two classes. I've heard his name a thousand times. One of my favorite offensive linemen in his class, simply because his defensive film was as good as his offensive film, which is very rare. But a lot of guys, you know, this, you know, we discussed this last year. This last year's team didn't really play as many guys as we're used to seeing, and then a lot of them were just at the end. I mean, we didn't see, you know, Sean until the uh, uh, the end, George till the end. You know, we saw guys at the very at the very end of the of the season out of necessity, but we didn't get good long hard looks at them. So all these guys, it's going to be a really fun spring, you know, spring game for me. Uh, as far as guys who have left and moved on from the program with an emphasis on the National Football League, we do have the NFL Combine set to get underway up in Indianapolis. Charlie Potter of the BamaOnline.com staff with a nice preview on that and continuing coverage for us there at BOL. You can find all of that on the website right now. Uh, pretty strong contingent once again, Tim, of Alabama players making their way to the combine. But we have learned in the last day or so, Ian Rappaport of NFL.com reporting, Evan Neal will not work out in Indianapolis. He will be there to interview with clubs. I would think he would also go through some of the medical uh, procedures and, and aspects and examinations that come with that. But uh, and really, when you look at this Alabama group, unfortunately, you got a handful of guys coming off injuries. Jamison Williams, John Mechie, uh, Christopher Allen, uh, Josh Job, for that matter. So I, I think as much as anything for Alabama guys, it'll be who's able to work out. And if they do, how much do they do exactly? Yeah, I mean, with, with Evan, there's really nothing to gain. You know, he's going to be one of the top offensive linemen on the board. I mean, I've seen people look at Charles Cross and the kid from NC State. I think what Evan's going to be the biggest thing is he an, is he an offensive tackle or is he an interior offensive lineman? I mean, we saw that we saw that last year with uh, Leatherwood, and same thing again. He struggled on the edge, but was really good on the interior. I thought it was key to make them making that uh, playoff type run. Their running game was definitely different with him inside. I think there's questions about Neil on that end. Not bad questions, but I mean obviously that you know if you need a tackle, which you know several teams do, 
uh, it's going to affect him. But he's really got nothing to gain by working out. I mean, he's got film. He's going to interview well. He's going to get this, you know, check off of the coaching staff. He's going to be relatively healthy and clean. So, I mean, he's, you know, not a lot to work out. Now, other guys, I would have killed, you know, I really, I wouldn't have killed, but I would have really wanted to see what Jamison ran. That's what I wanted to see because I think, I, I mean, I think he's, you know, I think he's a town. I mean, I wonder if he's not going to approach sub four three. Yeah. yeah. Wondering, I don't know. You know, it's hard to gauge speed, but I was thinking he would be in that. He would look very familiar to a longer Chris Johnson running. Um, mm, who was, that who was blazing. I mean, just absolutely blazing. Um, you know, I think that's the case with a lot of these guys. You know, the one, um, again, I keep going back to Christian Harris. I keep going back to how he is. He, is he working out? I mean, he's got a chance to me. I think of all the Alabama guys for someone to follow. I think he has to work out because I'm seeing him second, third round range right now. I, I think Christian Harris has to take advantage of every opportunity he gets as soon as healthy. I agree. If he's healthy and can run and he's prepared, I think he's the guy most likely to for some, the team to fall in love with. We see we see this almost in every draft and re, not reach for, but draft based on his potential because when it comes to inside backers. Physically, he's as good as any of them. That he's got all the tools. Yeah, he, they, he's to me physically, he's better than a Kobe Dean. The difference is every projectability. I would agree with that. To the what the National Football League wants at that position. That's what I mean. Upside. The difference to me is like the Kobe Dean. You can just close your eyes and pick a game to watch of his, and he shines right. Right. Really do that with Christian. Christian had games where he was fantastic, and then he had games where he was not very good. Nakobe was consistent. His career at Georgia was extremely consistent. But when it comes to upside and physically, who could be who's better? Um, I think it's Christian. I think he's bigger. I think he's faster. You know, he's you know just three down guy. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I'm curious to see. Christian could be a guy somebody falls in love with, snags at 24, 27, has Mel Kiper slick back hair. Questioning why they reach for him, but um, I mean, he's the guy I'm the, I'm the most interested with because to me, he was like at times he was a third or fourth round pick, and then at times he was a, he was a definite, you know, closed out the season like a first round pick. You know, he was really good at Alabama, but you feel like that 2019 season where he was forced into the starting lineup along with Shane Lee. I don't know if that exactly helped him in his development because as you and Hank and you outlined so well for us in making the transition from high school to college really wasn't an inside linebacker prior to getting to Alabama, not on a consistent basis. So this is a guy that's still new to that position. And whereas again, he was good for Alabama. I don't know if Alabama got the best version of Christian Harris. In other words, he's still got a lot of room to grow and that may work to the benefit of whoever picks him. And if you get him in the second round, or even if you go late first and you jump up there to take him, you're going to have to have the mindset, in my opinion, that, you know what, he's still maybe a couple of years away from being as good as he can be. You're going to have to have some patience, I think, too, with Christian Harris, because he's still still becoming that guy at inside linebacker. No, I totally agree. I mean, that's he's got three years of, of experience at inside linebacker, which is wild to think about. I mean, he showed up. I mean, he's, a, he's in the secondary in college. Um, I mean, in high school, he's still young. I think he just turned 21 uh, 
right after the season. In yeah. fact, he was somewhere near the national championship game. So he's young. He's 21 years old, three years experience. Physically, he's really going to be stuff they're going to check off. I mean, the film is going to be hit or miss. You know, again, it, it's almost like Alabama's basketball resume. You know, it's it's Charles Dickens. It's the best of times. It was the worst of times when you're looking when you're looking at film of Christian. But his best is really fantastic. NFL tends to focus on that and testing above all his upside. We've seen him do that several yeah. times. Again, he's a young kid. You know, he's you know he's still a baby at 21 years old and getting that experience. But yeah, I mean, he's kind of a high risk, high reward kind of guy when you really get to it. You could come out and steal somebody in the draft, or teams could you know play it safe and take them. You know, in that in that second round and feel a little bit more comfortable about it. You know, we mentioned Evan Neal not working out. It seems to be more and more of a theme, especially with guys that project first round and certainly top half of the first round. Does this hurt the NFL's TV show, also known as the NFL Combine, in your opinion, Tim? Or is is just the backdrop of the Combine? Because, look, we have daily programming on major cable outlets right now. In regards to the NFL, it just seems like fans of the NFL, they just like hearing talk about the NFL. And so whether or not some of these guys work out, does that does that hinder uh, the combine coverage? Uh, Will it limit your viewership, maybe uh, in regards to uh, the upcoming days in Indianapolis? Or are you just a hardcore enough NFL fan that you'll watch regardless? Yeah, I'm that I'm that dummy. You know what I mean? I'm that, <laughs> I don't watch it. I'm going to put it on. I'm going to watch it. You know, we've always had guys sit out. You know, you know, even when me and you were growing up, kids would sit out. And there's the stories about Dion showed up in a limo, ran the forty, and left. I mean, all those, all that stuff uh, is true. I mean, the the thing with the actual show is as long as crap and yeah. turned into like the entertainment hour. You know, and sometimes entertainment four hours. Sometimes when people are on TV and being seen more than they usually are, they take that show and think it's their comedy special. And I listen to stupid ass jokes that I don't, Dion, I do not need you talking trash to every DB that every wide receivers out there in those drills like he used to do. And it's just, I mean, a lot of, it turned into a lot of entertainment value. So it can be too much. I get why people don't watch it, but um, I mean, that's a show you can watch. You know, you can watch that thing on mute, which is, you know, yeah. there's su- there, there's downtime, right? Even between oh, 40 runs. I don't know if there's a way they could structure it where they could have two 40s going. You know what I'm saying? Have one going from left to right and have one going from right to left on the other side of the field. Now, I mean, they that may they that. may mess with the, the scouting aspect of it. But in terms of viewership, uh, you know, you could eliminate that downtime between runs where it becomes filler space and you kind of subject to some of the stuff you talked about. I don't know how many coaches are really watching the floor. Right. Exactly. And they're chit chat. I mean, a lot of what get, get, get two going, you know, and then all the kick them off. You know, I've covered a lot of camps over the years. A lot of that, I don't remember watching anybody run the 40, you know what I mean? I remember like, I got to see, now I was watching for the time. There's certainly kids we'd get excited about, but watching it's not part of it. You're there. For the one-on-ones, you're there for the live drills, you're there for the cuts and all that kind of stuff. So I think they could, you know, they could cut that forty down. I think they like the airtime. I mean, it's a lot of talk. It's very informative. I mean, if you haven't watched the college game in your life, 
and you watch every day of the combine and pay attention, you're going to come out there an educated fan. They're going to tell you about this kid and his background, and he grew up playing the violin. You're going to get a lot of information um, to gather as a fan, which is what I like. I love the backstories. I love the, you know, I hate the draft because the draft focuses on every negative things ever happened. Remember that one year they literally sought out anybody who had passed away in everyone's family and focused on that as they were yeah. drafted. It was, it was the middle of COVID. The Rinaldi effect. We're yeah. all depressed. We don't need, you know, we don't need right. to know all. You know, every story, every death's not a, a, an adventure or a major story. Sometimes that's just the way, you know, stuff happens. But this focuses on the, you know, the little stuff that matters. Grew up so-and-so. Grew up in England playing soccer. You know, they're always the backstories that I love. Um, and there's even stuff about Alabama players that, you know, you'll hear about, you know, um, you know, as much as we, you know, we cover them, there's still stuff that gets by. So I'll watch it. You know I mean? You know me, I watch, I watch anything, but, um, I, th- I think it's still the value. I don't, you know, I don't think they have to watch the forties. I agree with you. Get them out, you know, get them in vertical jumps. All that stuff could be going pop, 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 pop. And then one of running multiples, you know, Yeah, I mean, cause they're really going to look at the testing. I mean, you don't think that, Bill Belichick's going to sit down and go, you know, I saw him run the 40 and he looked gimpy, even though he ran a 4-3-8. There's right. no analyzing like that going. And, I mean, Bill's not even going to be the, the – Belichick's not even going to be the one to, like, you know, look at the film and break it down. They're going to have it put player profile. Travis Ryer, 5'11", 180 pounds, you know, you know, 14. Yeah, I like that. I like those measurables. Yeah. That, that sounds good. There you go. I need to get that on my driver's license. I'm break all those guys down when they look at them. They're going to look at film. You know, they're not going to shuffle it based on the forty time. Yeah. Are they better? Well, maybe the Lions would have, but I <laughs> probably should. Oh, uh, let's get in the roundtable mailbag, man, because it's a busy one, and we certainly appreciate all the input, all the help with that from our subscribers there at BamaOnline.com. We'll start with our guy Jam Bama. He asked, what position battle are we looking forward to the most during Alabama spring practice? I guess we hit on some of this in terms of projecting some some A-Day stars. But, you know, I'll still stay with offensive tackle because you need two of those guys. Um, so it, it's, it's, it spans multiple candidates um, at that position. I think corner, right? Um, you're, you're looking to see if – Kool-Aid McKinstry continues to uh, trend in a very positive direction. Um, wide receiver, too. Uh, you got to have some guys step up there, Tim, I guess. Uh, I agree. I mean, a lot of the guys we discussed earlier, the backup quarterback position, the wide receivers, who's going to step up, you know, and, and uh, you know, have a chance to shine. There's a lot of opportunity for these guys. I mean, there's a ton of opportunity for guys that want to come in especially the wide receivers where you don't have to gripe about lack of opportunity because you're definitely going to get a chance in the A-Day game. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing Aaron Anderson. I think he's a guy that has a chance to be what we thought JoJo Earl was going to be. And I still haven't given up on JoJo Earl. He looked hesitant. He's, you know, late in roll lead, didn't really get the spring practice, you know, ended up injured. So I still got high hopes, you know, for him as a slot guy. But, you know, Christian Leary's been a, a year into the program. Aaron Anderson's going to be there early. So definitely the wide receivers, probably the most interesting for me because Alabama has Bryce, you know, that they, you know, if they have a healthy wide receiving core last year, I felt they had a pretty good shot of winning another national championship and they need guys to step up. I mean, Nick Saban's called them out personally, 
So for me, that'd be that wide receiver position. Jam Bama also asked, what is the deepest position in this 2023 class? If you had to, to sort of isolate on one area, what would it be in terms of depth? Um, defensive line, possibly. You know, inside line, you know, obviously linebackers, another. That front seven has some depth potential there. Um, you got to see a lot of these guys step up. There's a lot of questions on the defensive line. Linebacker, I think they're, they're really loaded. I mean, we're, we didn't even mention Jalen Moody f- fighting for a uh, right. starting uh, linebacker spot. He'd be starting in a lot of schools. So linebackers definitely, uh, definitely to me, is probably the deepest up potential-wise, especially if Jihad – as expected, starts out at the inside linebacker position. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. another guy to throw in the mix. You got Henry coming back, a four-year – is he a four-year SEC starter? That's right, isn't He's it? He's going to be, yeah. This will be his fourth-year SEC starting. I mean, very rare, rare air when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, backers definitely deep. But potentially, both sides of the line, we just need to see guys step up to give them that depth. What about in terms of the 2020 2020- – three recruiting cycle a position of particular depth that you would look at for this for this next class um what about that that they need to add depth or they will have just looking at the the 2023 cycle as a whole uh is there a specific area in this cycle where positionally you go wow this particular group is loaded Again, the defensive line, that edge rushers you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Rusaw kid from Montgomery, James Smith's from Montgomery. He's an interior guy. Rusaw's an edge guy. You got uh, Peter Woods at Thompson. You got, you know, Kelby Collins, uh, Pierre kid from Ufall. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm missing a bunch of them. It is a loaded. <clears throat> it is a loaded uh, defensive line group, and if you include the edge rushers, kind of like that Jeremiah Alexander guy. So absolutely have a chance to have a, an excellent defensive lineman. Um, will be tough choices they have to make. I mean, there's a lot of guys to, to weed and weed to and go through. Hunter Osborne at, at, at uh, Hewitt Trustville is another one. I mean, there's I think I counted eight guys to some degree that have a chance to end up. I think uh, definitely in the SEC, but at Alabama, guys are going to look at. So defensive line would be the 2023 positions. Jaylar in the roundtable mailbag asks, who do we think will boost their stock among Alabama players the most at the combine? We hit on some of this a moment or so ago, but you know, it sort of gets pared down based on availability and who is actually going to work out. And I think we talked extensively about Christian Harris having that opportunity. Uh, I know Tim felt strongly about that. I think there's still a couple other guys, uh, Fedarian Mathis, I think the entire process, he's going to be one of those guys that you're going to hear everything from potential to sneak into the late first to maybe a third, fourth round pick. So I'd say a big stretch coming up for Phil uh, and the opportunity to make that that jump to a to a higher level on some draft boards. You know who else could be a guy they fall in love with is Armour Davis. Yeah, uh, he's got you that. Know, small sample size, didn't play a lot of games, was really, really good underappreciated how good he was probably because we didn't get that long a look at him. Then he was injured, not sure his workout situation, but he's going to be a guy. I was talking to an NFL guy that was asking me about him and um, who said like his film we've got is really good. He's very, he's very balanced. He's got good size. You know, again, the, the, the film they've got is good. It's just not a lot of film. So again, you go to the NFL and how they're going to grade people, but he's a guy that they could really fall in love with. 
mature guy, you know, um, should to, you know, it's going to have savings blessings, went through a lot of battles to get where he's at, uh, to even, you know, get that starting, uh, position. So I think he's a guy that, that could, that could, uh, that somebody could take a chance on early. Yeah, definitely checks the boxes where critical factors are concerned and maybe even has some projectability at another spot or two in the secondary in addition to corner. Big J Law in the roundtable mailbag asks, do you guys have pellet grills? Uh, Big J, I do not. I am a Big Green Egg loyalist. I've had mine for about 11 years now. Uh, I do have some pellet grill envy based on the feedback and what I've seen from those who have them. But no, I do not have a pellet grill. What about you, Tim? No. No. I, I don't You're know. on record as not being much of the uh, chef master, uh, the barbecue guy. My wife is a grill monster. I mean, she's a she's grill. She's got you covered. Yeah. She, like, I knew early on, like, when I would grill, that she would, like, bump me out of the way. And I would notice, like, you know, because I'm usually watching the game or doing something and coming back to it. I noticed when I left it too long that uh, she would end up on the grill. We got to the point I was like, do you think I want to do this? <laughs> like, I'm not that guy. I don't care. I don't need an apron. I don't need a spray bottle. You can you can have at it as long as you cook the things I like. But she did. And she, she's great at it. So we got her a green egg. She kills it. The chicken there is at the next level. She does a great job. I don't have to cook much. Um but no, I do not have a pellet grill. I see him discussed a lot. I don't really know what one is. I know it is a is a it is a hot topic. I'm scared I'm gonna get flooded with DMs explaining it to me. <laughs> you guys don't need to do that. Let me be. I love you guys. You do not. Yeah, I mean, if if there's a pellet grill that wants to sponsor the podcast, you know, maybe Absolutely. send us a couple of pellet grills. We'll we'll take receipt of those. No problem. I obviously love them. So we both have our price, and frankly, it's probably not that high, right, Tim? I mean. I mean, to be honest. We are. You can you can get us for pretty cheap. Hey, Boo AU in the roundtable mailbag asks, what player that is not a true freshman do we feel will really have a breakout spring in football? Again, this sort of goes back to the A-Day topic that we hit on. But, you know, typically when I think about non-true freshmen, I think about second-year guys that maybe we didn't hear a lot about as true freshmen. And I think Deontay Lawson could fit that bill as a breakout guy in year two. You hit on a couple of the young defensive linemen earlier, Tim. Goodwine and Payne. Um, and and I, I, this when I think breakout, I think need. Who needs to yeah. be a breakout player in the spring? You know, one of who I'm hoping is really healthy and we get a great look at is Tommy Brockermeyer, who we have. Exactly. Yeah. And going back to that need position, I mean, we've seen Latham. We know Latham kind of what he's going to be. We know his best football is probably ahead of him. Haven't really seen Terrence Ferguson that, you know, that much. Same for Tommy Brockermeyer. They both, to me, fall in that group of really want to see and want to see what they can do. Um, big, you know, you know, highly recruited guys, highly ranked guys. Haven't really had the opportunity. I wish they had. We wish we'd had a chance to see him a little bit more. But both of those guys will jump in there. And, you know, you sort of flip it to the other side of the ball. That's sort of how you get to, you know, Damon Payne and, Michael Goodwine, sort of that same, that same, like, this is y'all's time. If you're going to step up and take the next two years by the throat, this is a good time to show the staff how serious you are. And we know Brockermeyer's a very serious-minded kid, big kid, athletic, was injured in high school. So it's been a while since we've got a good, really good look at him. But hopefully he's good to go in the spring and we get a you know great showing. I'll give you one off the radar, and this is just gut as much as anything else. I'll go Jamarian Latham. 
as a second year guy. Yeah. You don't hear anything about Jamarian Latham, but in what I've seen of him, he reminds me of Federian Mathis. Maybe a little bit of a tweener in terms of size, but from what I've seen, motor is not an issue. So we'll see. I'll just I'll just throw that one out there, Tim. Another kid that was similar to Terrence Ferguson, if you remember, I love mm-hmm. the fact that whenever you have a guy at one position who's as good on a, at another position on the other side of the ball, it's usually a good sign to athlete they are. You know, Minka was that way. Landon Collins was that way. You know, I, Andre Smith, coach, put him at defensive line for me in the season opener uh, as a senior, and I think he had seven plays, three sacks, a cause fumble, and a tackle for loss. And, yeah. I mean, he did it just because I was like, I bet he'd be an unbelievable defensive tackle. He said, Dre, you want to play defense? He said, yes, sir. He stuck him out there, and after that, he did the cutthroat to me like we've seen enough. <laughs> uh, he really was unbelievable, what you expect. So I know I know that Latham fell in that category, too. Great offensive film, you know, similar to what I said uh, to Terrence Ferguson, but also really good defensive film. Yeah. Mac Man 10 in the roundtable mailbag, among other things, asks, possibility of any more transfers? I guess you could look at that both ways, and I guess the answer to that would be, hell yeah. Mac Man 10, there is the possibility of more transfers, especially once you get beyond you know spring Hank practice. South. Well, you know where Hank South is right now. <laughs> I'd be shocked if there weren't more transfers. I'd be shocked if well, Alabama didn't go back to the portal well, and bring things, in another guy or two. Well, two things are happening. One, you go to the spring. You don't get yeah. the spring playing time you want to transfer in May. That's going to happen in a lot of schools probably. And then also you've got guys that weren't academically able to transfer right away who have to finish this spring semester and um, finish this spring semester to be able to transfer. So there's a lot of stuff still to happen. I don't think that portal is really going to be shut. You know what I mean? We saw guys, Never. you know, we saw Marcus Banks enter in the middle of a season that he probably would have started a few games, you know, towards the end. So we've seen guys enter in the middle of it. We've seen in the summer. I mean, you know, it's, the portal's almost, you know, you can, if you're emotional and get mad, you know, this is the equivalent of, you know, slamming the door and screaming, I hate you to your parents and leaving. That's what the portal's become. We've seen guys in and in it and out of it in the same day. I don't even, I don't even know how that's possible. So I, mean, I don't think that, I don't think transfers are, are done. Ever. You mentioned Marcus Banks and that scenario, how it played out over the second half of the 2021 season. In retrospect, that may have been his Anthony Everett, Levi Wallace window, yeah. and he left before he could take advantage of it. You get to the point where you just feel, oh, I get it, but you know I mean? it, it, and it's all in hindsight, but yeah, that's like what that's it sort of feels like now. Yeah, that's no, but you're right in hindsight, and that's why I'm not a big fan of uh, transferring in the middle of a season. I think it's bad for for a bunch of reasons. I think you need to finish that season i think you need to finish that semester academically i mean there was guys that he'll do they Lock were it up man yeah absolutely. there was not banks not banks but there were other guys at other schools who planned to hit the portal and quit going to school it wasn't yeah. there i mean so uh you know a lot of athletes are the you know their happiness is playing sports a lot of them go to class so they can play that's the carrot you know yeah, a lot the of- clock the clock kick the academic clock keeps running you know, just because you stop playing, the uh, the academic clock it, it doesn't stop, right? No. Yeah. You know, God, you can't you can't pause it. You know, five. You know, in the middle. You know, game right. six, middle of a semester. 
Yeah. So, um, so that happens. So yeah, there's definitely. I don't think we're ever until they put a window, a time frame. You know, a, a you know one week window in the fall and the spring or whatever they you know they might do. Um, yeah, they they should really you know give you a ten day window a couple times a year to transfer, in my opinion, and narrow it down because otherwise you're just encouraging people to to get you know mad at practice because they went from one to two and hit the portal. I mean, a lot of dramatics that go with the way it's set up now. Uh, MacMan ten, he also wants to get weird with you, Tim. He asks you, you have a hypothetical eighteen year old daughter. Which early enrollee are you picking to marry your hypothetical eighteen year old daughter? That's such a crazy question. I thought about you love you some Jihad Campbell though. I do yeah, know it, that. It would be, be and I actually have a daughter. It would be Jeremiah Alexander. Yeah. Probably because I know the kid so well. You know what I mean? I've known right. him for a long time. I know where he's coming from. He actually dated one of my best friend's daughters for several years. Um, as far as personality, he's the one I know the most. I wouldn't trust nobody. With <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I wouldn't pick any 18 year old to marry I, my daughter, period. Bryce Young's probably the most unassuming, nice kid, you know, we've ever dealt with. And I'd be, eyeball, I'd be eyeballing down. <laughs> Just like that scene in, was it bad boys two or three where Will Woods answered oh. with in the, Mark Lawrence's daughter was going to prom and Will came out acting like a fool. I think he had a gun out and everything. That's, yeah. probably, that's probably going to be me. Uh, Jared Burns here in the mailbag. Gun to head. Who wins the CB2 spot? Kool-Aid or Kyrie Jackson? I guess Jared Burns just assuming Elias Ricks is CB1, right? Because he's asking about CB2. I think there's some, I think there's some stuff to play out here and not just at corner, but also when you look at star and you got Malachi Moore back, you got Brian Branch back, man, I, I'm not assuming nothing at those spots. I don't know why Jared's so aggressive. He's very, he chose violence. He wow. chose violence. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think Ricks is going to be thrown in the competition. I think we saw things with Kool-Aid that make you think he's going to have one of the spots, you know, locked up. Kyrie certainly played well at times, has that natural instinct. Kyrie, let's be honest, there's a couple guys thrown in the worst scenario, you know, the hardest scenarios. Hall right. was one. Kyrie was one. I mean, they're just thrown in. <laughs> You know, you're talking about in the fire. They were just thrown straight in the fire. So, but I agree. I mean, I think Rick's, you know, Rick's is a mystery to me in some regards. When you watch his film, and I, and I probably took take criticism for this, took it before. Rick's has a sense for the ball that's, that's really uncanny. He did it's it. more instincts than it is, say, speed, dynamic, athletic ability, isn't it? You know, I told people, like, when he transferred to Alabama, I said, uh, compared to other DBs, I, the corners, I don't think he runs well. They're like, you're crazy. He runs. He's not Marlin, put it that way. Uh, no. No, what he is is he's a natural offensive ball carrier once he intercepts it. He's yeah. got a knack for finding the ball. Some guys just do that. You know, they just find – Minka finds – Minka can sit in this third row eating popcorn and a ball will bounce up there for Minka. Every Steeler game, he's got his hands on a football. I mean, the ball just finds him. Rick's got tremendous skills. Uh, he and he's a risk taker. He will break he off. He will. Yep. So he'll jump some stuff. Yeah, and that's going to want you know you jump the wrong thing and then coaches jump you know coach Saban can jumped. be influenced. Yeah, yep. but he's definitely going to be in it. But I agree. I think Kool Aid and Jackson and and Ricks are three guys you can put in that mix and and, and play itself out. I would be. You know, I think Kool-Aid for sure is going to get one of those two spots. That's me. Yeah, I think he's I think he's a guaranteed one or two. Yeah, see, that's the one I'm most sure about. I think Jackson and Ricks, 
but also I think we'll see them all on the field several times. You know, I think there's a lot of versatility there with those guys. Yeah, a lot of different combinations you can consider between the corner and safety spots uh, in 2022. Gumpin247 asks, most miserable football game sporting event you have attended? Terrible game, bad weather, etc. Um, for me, it always tends to go back to weather and not even so much rain as temperature. You know, some of the, the 1986 Alabama-Florida game in Gainesville was like a one o'clock Eastern kickoff. And I still have scars from sunburn, I think from that one back when, back when Florida field and Gainesville had artificial turf. And that was a September game. That one would be near the top of my list. I also went to a couple cold weather games, been to green Bay, been to Pittsburgh when it's been seven degrees, didn't necessarily enjoy that either, but mine's more temperature related. I don't know about you, Tim. Yeah, the worst by far, because usually I don't risk it. I look out there, I'm <laughs> like, man, I don't like the way that sun's setting up this early. I'm good. Um, yeah. I'm finding excuses not to go. Or I'm becoming a Saints fan who has a dome. And I'm like, shoot, yeah, I'll go. It's no big deal. Or back. Yeah. My preferred sport, the indoor sport, go figure. We went to the Papa John's Birmingham Bowl, Bowl yeah. with South Carolina and UConn. Jeez. And it was friggin' freezing. I mean, mm-hmm. it was – I don't know why it was so cold. And partly I'm seeing this dumb game. I went – you know, my family went, had some family friends went with us, his wife, his kids. Uh, we went there. And um, I remember walking in, the lady behind me, a South Carolina fan, she was griping the whole way. She was – this is bull crap, the parking, you know, for a major – they're going to host a major bowl – they, you know, the parking's got to be better. And I turned around and I said, well, ma'am, this is not a major <laughs> You were at the party. This is like – The college football playoff isn't coming to the hands. This is December respect. 10 a.m., lady, on a Tuesday. <laughs> this ain't a major bowl. Like, crap. I got – I'm here because the tickets are free. Yeah. We're walking. It was bad. I mean, we were walking through Legion Field, and one of the houses was doing work, and they had chopped off the front of their house and had a blue tarp coming in. I know they were freezing. It's just terrible. When we get there, it's freezing cold. You know, the bleachers are cold. They got those metal bleachers. And that sun started to create the peat. The Papa John's pizza wasn't there for the first quarter. Everything wow. was wrong. And then that sun, we were in the sun, and we were going to tolerate it. And the kids were sitting in our lap because, again, the, the seats are too cold. But, dude, I'm telling you, that sun started creeping away, and I felt like I was in a vampire movie. I was looking at Heather like, oh, we got to go. We got to go. <laughs> I'm like Elton John. Don't let that sun go down on me. It's going to be freezing without that sun on us. And we bailed probably second quarter. I think it was a fairly good game. Yeah, if I remember correctly. I think UConn won. You know, it's that game you don't really want to be playing if you're an SEC team. But that was right. Really my most miserable experience. Maybe a most miserable overall in any event in my life. I'm guard. That is that would that would register. Um, yeah, you know, and these cold weather games that, that folks love to tweet about, the snow and seven degrees, trust me, I, I've done those at the aforementioned stops in the NFL, and they were bucket list trips, don't get me wrong, and they were a lot of fun, but by about the second quarter, you come to realize quickly that those kind of games are best consumed from the comfort and the warmth 
of your living room rather than maybe in person. Now the folks in those areas, they just get used to that shit. I, I, I can't, I can't get used to my hot chocolate freezing from the bottom up by the second quarter. You know, I can't get used to that. Yeah. You know, my son Kay played in a game like that at Oak mountain. We were up on a hill and it was so cold. The dads <clears throat> were, had like space heaters hanging out with them. You know, they were like not even in the stands. <clears throat> it was miserable. It was beyond miserable cold. Um, for that game, very similar. I mean, it was, I don't know why <clears throat> the youth, you know, we take the youth football pretty serious in these parts, but Hell yeah. um, I don't know why we played a game that cold, but it was absolutely freezing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. In Bama, I trust one. Uh, he asked about breakout names going into spring practice. I think we pretty much have hit on those, uh, but we certainly appreciate the, the question and the input. In Bama, I trust one. So we'll finish up with third and Golding, who asked him, will Texas A&M let Alabama get any in-state kids this year? Maybe a little bit of a play on Jalil Hurley. Maybe he's referring to Alabama's great work in the state of Texas in the past and uh, Jimbo in that staff uh, for reasons that that seem to be uh, debatable, I guess you could say. doing a good job with the in-state kids. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, Alabama fans to be the bully, they always feel bullied by a team each year. It's kind of weird for some of the fan base It's like every fan base hates Alabama, sees Alabama as the bully, but every year Alabama fans have got to, you know, it was Georgia one year, it was Clemson one year, it's Ohio State, it's LSU, it's Texas A&M. Look, Texas A&M put a great class together. However they did it, they put a great class together. I don't anticipate the NCAA kicking down their door and snatching all those kids off campus. I think they just put a great class together. Um, however they did it, I think they figured out a way to put a great class together. Alabama also had a great class. I mean, they had a tremendous class. They had an excellent class as well. So I don't think the Aggies should be in their head with, uh, you know, with everything. I mean, you know, figuring out the NIL teams did it. Texas had a wide open state, Alabama, not so wide open. Other teams are figuring it out. You know, Jimbo Fisher's always been a really good recruiter. That's what I think people forget. Texas A&M has probably been the biggest uh, since Georgia won their championship. Isn't Texas A&M probably the biggest powder keg monster waiting to blow up left right now? I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? As as far as, you know, school academics, big name coach, you know, a lot of talent and all that stuff. You know, Georgia was the same way. It took them, you know, it took them 40 years to win a championship, but everybody knew it was coming. I think Texas a and is probably the next one if somebody's due to do that. So they're definitely going to contend. Unfortunately for them, they do have to go through Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and the SEC. Um, so obviously the road's going to be tough for them. Um, but I, no, I don't expect Texas A&M to get everybody. They didn't get everybody they wanted last year. You know, they didn't get Jod Campbell, for instance. Um, so I think they'll be good at recruiting. I think they always are. I don't know why we, we talk about Texas A&M a lot, you know. And uh, the year, remember the two years ago, Ohio State had a class. It'll be untouchable. No one will ever catch Ohio State. They're running away. And here we are two years later, and that same year, Alabama had a better class than Ohio State. Not that Ohio State's not a great program. They obviously are. But, you know, I think teams are going to compete with Alabama, and Alabama fans had better get used to it. Yeah, it always goes back to sustainability. I mean, 2019, LSU wins the national championship. Ed Orgeron himself was convinced that this was forever. And, um, you know, two years later, 
he's down at the senior bowl checking out jobs as an unemployed head coach. So things can change in a hurry. That's not to say Texas A and M's going away because I don't believe they are. Jimbo's track record speaks for itself, certainly in comparison to say Ed Orgeron. But um the the constant has been Alabama, you know, and, and yeah, it seems like that maybe gets forgotten from time to time. Yeah. I agree. All right, Tim, I think we're good, man. That wraps up the mailbag for this week. Again, we appreciate everyone contributing to that segment of the podcast. Anything else, Tim, before we get out of here? I think it was good. Good long one. Another fun one. We certainly covered the topics, the myriad of topics that we wanted to hit on. And uh, again, we always appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online Podcast, you should do so. Anywhere you consume pods, you're going to find the Bama Online Podcast. If you leave us a rating and a review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. And, of course, right there with us at Bama Online, continuing coverage of all things Crimson Tide, Tim Watts, Hank South, Charlie Potter, Kirk McNair, myself. We got you right there at BamaOnline.com. Thanks, as always, Tim. I appreciate it, guys. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.